Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian lay people will rightly divide the word of truth. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, John, good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you again. And uh, today we are uh, beginning uh, a new discussion uh, on antinomianism. Of course, uh, we have had previous podcast episodes here on neonomianism, and so we want to delve into a little bit of what many would consider its opposite error. Uh, but uh, let's begin, as we typically do, with a definition, and uh, why don't you explain what is antinomianism? Yeah, well, the word antinomianism simply means against the law. Anti means against, and namas uh, means law, and so antinomianism refers to uh, someone who, to a belief system that denies that God's law is the standard or rule of conduct in the life of the believer. Hmm. And uh, so, antinomians do not believe that the law has any role except to expose sin and to point the believer to Christ for their forgiveness and their justification. And if you uh, kind of take antinomianism to its extreme, then you would see them denying that Christians necessarily undergo any process of being made holy or more conformable to the standard of God's law. It denies that there's any necessary change in a believer's heart or life that would distinguish the believer from the world around them. So now, in in saying that, though, I, I know that uh, you've said before there are some same real problems here as uh, we've seen in neonomianism as well, right? That's exactly right. Um, they're actually two sides of the same error. Mm. Um, both essentially doubt the goodness and the grace of God. Mm. And I'm not the first one to recognize this. Sinclair Ferguson expresses this very well in his book, The Whole Christ, which I highly commend. Uh, he's he's he quotes a Voss on this very same subject, and basically arguing that the core problem, both with legalism and antinomianism, has to do with their view of God. That this isn't essentially a you know a doctrinal problem. That's you know has to do with we're not putting the pieces of our theology c- together correctly. It's essentially antinomianism, like legalism, uh, is a problem with how people perceive God. Who is God? And so we saw in a, in, in a previous episode that legalists doubt the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. You know, neonomians, which are legalists, uh, can't believe that God would be so abundantly gracious to- toward them as to save them by free grace. And so they think they have to do something to measure up, to obtain life for themselves. And so that's why all legalists undermine God's law or soften his law to make it easy enough for them to keep. In that sense, all legalists are antinomians because they soften God's law because they think surely God would demand something of us uh, to measure up to him, to, mm-hmm. to his standard. You know, and you know, you got two different couple different kinds of legalists. You know, on the one hand, some legalists are very successful at keeping their own soft modified laws and they feel proud and righteous that they're good people and that now God will accept them because they're good. Uh, But other legalists never get the sense that they're even keeping a watered down version of the law. 
you know, their conscience still bothers them and they feel depressed and they're despondent and they aren't sure that God loves or accepts them because they're so bad at keeping his law. And so the, the central problem with legalists, though, is that they doubt the goodness and the grace of God. And that's exactly the same problem that we see in antinomianism. Uh, but uh, antinomians are, though they're making the same central problem or, or mistake that legalists are making, antinomians are trying to correct um, their legalism with antinomianism. So they have this, you know, antinomians are legalists who are tired of trying to work for God's acceptance and, and favor. They're just exhausted of feeling the guilt and the shame. And so they come to believe that Christ died so they don't need to worry about keeping God's law in any sense. And they can just safely stay in their sins. To antinomians, you know, the cross means that they can live their lives without measuring themselves against law and God's law anymore. And so just like for a legalist, for an antinomian, God, God and his law are harsh, terrifying, and almost cruel. Right. Um, right. But, but if, if antinomians really believe in the true goodness and the grace of God, then they would have to believe that God's law is also good and gracious. Mm -hmm. This is the error for both legalists and antinomians. Um, that is, is God's law good and gracious? Of course it is. Because where does it come from? It comes from God. And if God's law comes from God, it must be good. Psalm 119, uh, 97, David says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Antinomian reads that and they just scratch their head. And how can, how can he do that? You know, and a legalist would say, well, I love a softer version of it. And they interpret, you know, they interpret the law in a, in a softer way. Um, but antinomians don't don't trust that God's law is good because in their hearts, they don't trust God. They don't trust that God is himself good. They, they tend, even antinomians tend to see God as harsh, authoritarian, even cruel. They somehow think that Christ's work on the cross frees them from the law of such a harsh and cruel God. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, th their central mistake is thinking of God as harsh and cruel in the first place. If you know that, that God is purely good, He's absolutely gracious. And if we really understand how good and gracious God is, then we will be convinced that God's law is good and gracious because God's law comes from God. And we will believe that God's law is for our good and that we should seek to be conformed to it. So, the case I'm making here is that the main mistake in antinomianism is doubting the goodness and the graciousness of God himself, and that both legalists or neonomians and antinomians make the same mistake of separating God from the good, or rather the law of God from the good and gracious character of right. God. Would you say that there are other similarities then between uh, legalists or neonomians and antinomians? Yeah, uh, legalists... Uh, often they, they soften God's standard to feel good about themselves, to feel that God accepts them and to feel righteous in themselves. Antinomians though, make up their own standards. So mm -hmm. it's not like antinomians really deny there's any law. No, it's impossible to live in this world without some standard or moral code. Right. And so while 
antinomians insist that they're free from God's law, what they're really doing is creating their own independent private law mm-hmm. for themselves and that they actually uh, impose on others as well. The, so the main practical difference, so we, we've talked about the theological difference between or the theological similarity between antinomians and legalists, but the practical difference between them um, is that a, 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 an antinomian follows a so, the soft standard of their own hearts rather than the soft standards of a legalistic religious community. Hmm. But they're both you know, asserting a soft standard and trying to keep it for their own righteousness. It's just a question of where it comes from. Uh, but the result of this for antinomians is that it's often very authoritarian and mm. censorious, and the antinomians can tend to have a condemning spirit to anyone who disagrees with the standards that they've made up for themselves. And they tend to demand that everyone accept their standards, and they feel righteous for living according to their own code. So, you know, some people, they hear antinomian and they think, oh, well, that's someone who's not going to be judgmental, uh, not harsh. They're going to be, you know, humble and meek. But actually, uh, antinomians, the spirit of antinomianism is not gentle. It's not meek. <laughs> they aren't loving people who believe in, the free- in freedom and universal acceptance, as you might think. Instead, they're really harsh and rigid with their own personal standards. And so they have the same spirit as a legalist because a two- errors are really identical at core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it uh, and an important way to connect it to what we believe about God. And, yeah. And so that's really key. What then would you say are the theological justifications that antinomians give for uh, for their beliefs, for, for this whole idea? Yeah. Um, Mark Jones wrote a a helpful little book titled Antinomianism, mm-hmm. where he says that the core theological justification for antinomianism comes from a misunderstanding of Christ. And I agree with him about that. I think he's correct to identify that antinomianism, like legalism, is a Christological problem. And so I would argue that antinomians misunderstand something about Christ's work, but they also misunderstand something about Christ's person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's an error in terms of both the work and the person of Christ. So first, just think about how they misunderstand Christ's work. And antinomian will often say that Christ died for our sins, so we're free from the law. The believers have nothing to do with the law anymore because Christ died to remove the law in every respect. And antinomians will say, if believers look to the law as their standard in life, then what they're doing is they're putting themselves back under the law and rejecting the work of Christ. Mm. That's what an antinomian will say. And so they use the work of Christ on the cross to atone for our sins, to justify their attitude toward the law. But that is a, that is a total misunderstanding of what Jesus has done. Right. Um, right. You know, the Bible teaches that Christ lived a righteous life, He perfectly obeyed God's law, and he died for our sins to free us from the law as a covenant of eternal life. Mm. So Christ Christ died to free us from the law as a way to obtain our justification. He died Mm -hmm. to free us from the law as a way to, to obtain or earn the right and title to eternal life. He died to free us from the guilt and condemnation of the law. And Christ's death means that our sins no, no longer make us 
liable to punishment. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law mm. cannot condemn you. The curses of the law have nothing to do with you anymore when you're in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.21 says something similar. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, the antinomians would agree fully on all that. But they seem to really reduce Christ's work on the cross then, only seeing it in terms of our guilt and condemnation, right? That's that's exactly the point, is mm. what does the Bible teach the total work of Christ does? He doesn't only, through his work and obedience and death, uh, rescue us from the condemnation of the law or from justification by works or from work salvation, but actually Christ also died to free us from the actual pollution of our sins. Another way of putting this is Christ not only died for us, he died to purchase the work of the Spirit in us. Right. And this is clear in the scriptures. Uh, Titus 2.14 says that Christ gave himself for us. So that's his work, isn't it? Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from, and it doesn't say guilt. It doesn't say condemnation. It says Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, mm -hmm. anomia, from antinomianism. Mm -hmm. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So that's a very important text, Titus 2.14, because it shows us that Christ gave himself to redeem us from inherent lawlessness. He buys us out of slavery to personal antinomianism. His death purchases our lawfulness. That's what it's saying. Mm -hmm. So when Christ bought us out of bondage uh, to, to the curse of the law, he bought us not only out of bondage to the curse of condemnation, but to the curse of a nature that is enslaved to sin. And the spirit then frees us from that enslavement, making us more and more lawful. Um, so you see his work is about not just freeing us from guilt and condemnation, but freeing us from lawlessness. But another important passage is Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, which says, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. So this is, so far we're tracking with Paul. He, he died to condemn sin in the flesh, but then verse 4 of Romans 8 explains why. It says, in order that... Mm -hmm the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It doesn't say in order that we would be forgiven of our sins, although that's that he would say that in another place. It doesn't say that Christ condemns sin in the flesh in order that we might be declared not guilty or justified, although he did that and Paul taught that in other places. But here, Romans 8 verse 4 Christ condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement, that's a standard, mm -hmm. of the law, the law might be fulfilled, not for us, but in us. Mm -hmm. And we know it's talking about in us and in our personal lives and the way we behave and, and conduct ourselves because it goes on. It says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit as it work in us to uh, transform us, to conform us more and more to 
to the standard of the law. That's what Paul teaches. Mm -hmm. um, so even though antinomians try to justify their doctrine on the basis of Christ's work, they can only do that by misunderstanding Christ's work. Christ did not only die to justify us, he also died that we would be sanctified to make us holy and more conform to the standard of his law. And and so uh, so critical for us to understand. Um, but you also mentioned that uh, antinomians not only fail to understand the work of Christ, but uh, the person of Christ as well. So do uh, you mind uh, explaining that a little bit more? Yes. Um, antinomians will often say that Christ took on a human nature so that he could die for our sins to free us from the law. So why was Christ born in Bethlehem? Well, so he could die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. You know, as though the whole reason for the incarnation was to be our substitute, to bear our sins, to free us from the curse of condemnation under the law. Um, and that's it. That's mm -hmm. the whole conception of why he was incarnate. That's their whole understanding. But antinomians only understand half the reason for the incarnation. Christ certainly took on human flesh to identify with us, to be our substitute, to secure our justification. But the Lord Jesus also took on a human nature to be our example Amen. Of, of holy conduct, of how to live. Christ was truly human, yet without sin. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus had to learn obedience through what he suffered. You know, the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and favor with God and men. And what was he like? What was Christ like according to his human nature? Well, he was perfectly lawful. If you would, were to describe the life of Christ and the way that he conducted himself, what did he do? He kept the law to fulfill all righteousness. And so if we're looking to Jesus as a standard of how to live, we're looking at one who is the perfect embodiment of God's good and gracious law. And what do we love about Jesus? Isn't it that he was lawful? He never stole, he gave, he never murdered. Instead, he promoted and protected and gave life. He never lied, but he told the truth. You know, he never, he never disobeyed his father, but always submitted to him. You know, he, the, what we love, he never, uh, uh, you know, committed adultery or abused any of the women around him. Instead, he served them in love and treated them as images and as people who are valuable and you know and so if we look at the life of christ and we we say what do we love about him the things we're going to start talking about are things that are positive positively lawful mm. and so he's our example of how to live in obedience to the law and the bible teaches this this isn't just you know surmising or deduction um first john 2 6 says whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Mm -hmm. So if you say you you're in Jesus, you ought to, and that ought to in the Bible is is a is in a um, has the force of should or must. You ought to walk. It's a it's a it has a commanding force. Uh, you ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Mm -hmm. And then First Peter two twenty one is even clearer. It says, "For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you." leaving you an example hmm. so that you might follow in his steps. So right. Christ gave us an example of, of keeping God's good law 
even in the midst of suffering when it was very difficult for him to do so. Yeah, I mean, when we read scripture, it seems pretty clear that uh, believers are called to imitate Christ's life and, and keep the law, right? That's right. And that's part of the purpose of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. So the, in, Christ was not merely incarnate so that we could have no condemnation in him when he died on the cross. He was also incarnate to give us an example. So the mm-hmm. person of Christ involves being uh, teaching us how to be conformed to the standard of God's law. Now, right. at this point, antinomians cry foul. Mm-hmm. They say this kind of teaching would put believers back under the law to try to earn their acceptance before God. But we need to understand that Christ gives us an example to follow in our sanctification on the basis of his free grace and justification. So after we come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the title to eternal life and justification, we're freed from the law as a covenant of life or as a way to obtain um, the right to life or, and we're free from the law, from the law, uh, the, the law's condemnation. Then though, we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus and our sanctification guided by God's law as our standard looking to Christ as a perfect example and embodiment of the law. Mm-hmm. So, so it's very important to say we are not justified by our sanctification. It's not as though you're, you, you know, you, you grow in sanctification and then you're more and more justified or you live a life of sanctification, then you're finally sanctified. No, our sanctification doesn't cause the justification, nor is it the means of it. Rather, we are sanctified, justified on the basis of Christ's work alone, and we're sanctified uh, on the basis of Christ's righteousness freely imputed to us. Mm-hmm. So Christ's righteousness is given to us, and on that ground, the Holy Spirit then uh, has the right to transform a sinner. Mm-hmm. More and more, has a, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is legally justified. God is justified in changing us and giving us the life of the Spirit to make us like Christ more and more, to know Him and to enjoy Him more and more because of all that Jesus uh, has done for us. So, so the Bible basically teaches us that Christ saves us from two things. Um, the antinomians are correct that Christ saves us from the guilt and condemnation of our sins. They're right about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're right that fr- Christ frees us from the law as a way to obtain our justification or a right entitled to life. But antinomians are wrong in that they deny important aspects of Christ's salvation. The Bible teaches us that Christ saves us from the power of our sins. He saves us from the pollution of our sins. He saves us from the misery and sorrow of our sins. And he does this in two ways. First, his death on the cross purchases the work of the Spirit in us to make us more and more lawful. And second, Christ's life as a human being gives us a perfectly lawful example to imitate in our sanctification. Mm. So, to sum up in conclusion here, you know, the antinomians try to justify their false teaching with the person and the work of Christ. The problem is they have misunderstood and truncated both the person and the work of Christ. Right. And and so we we shouldn't equate the proper uh, teaching of uh, the law of Christ as a guide unto holiness, uh, it, but as some kind of moralism and dismiss it in that way, right? But it's absolutely uh, the the process that God is at work in us to 
uh, bring us into the conformity of his son to, to make us more and more like Christ, which uh, requires us then to live as he lived and to keep the laws. Uh, well, not, not keep the law as he's kept it, of course, but, but uh, yet to more and more through our lives uh, follow him in the keeping of the law. Yeah, and th this process of sanctification, God is mercifully freeing us from enslavement to our sins. We're no longer d dominated by our sins, which bring misery to us. And when you ask the biggest question, what is sin? It's that which estranges us from God. Mm. And even as Christians, our sins estrange us from communion with our Father. And so this process of sanctification is one that is a blessing to us to be drawn deeper and deeper into the knowledge of God, communion with him, and also to be a blessing of love to others as well. Right. Right. Well, I think that's helpful, uh, introducing us a little bit more to antinomianism. And so I want to thank everyone for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org. Are you okay? I mean, is the air conditioning working, brother? It's come on, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I just, I don't mind you fanning yourself or whatever, but uh, I, I, if you're going to overheat. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. All right. All right. Well, again, I'll, I'll wait a few seconds of silence and then we could go on.